hey, if I showed you this picture, which I am, and you looked at that, and I asked you, hey, which one of those people would you be inclined to sit near in worship? Who would you be drawn to to worship with or maybe hang out with, just get to know those individuals? Which one would you choose first? Which one would be second, third, or even number eight? How would you order them in the number of people that you would want to be engaged in? That little question is going to provoke in us some thought about maybe our heart and our way of thinking regarding what James is wanting us to tackle this morning in the second chapter of this epistle. The Spirit of God has inspired him to ask us a question about the partiality that's in our heart. In fact, if you look at the text, we can recognize that he says in chapter 1, verse 2, My brothers show no partiality. As you hold the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. You know what I love about James? As I was walking away from last week's message, as I was thinking about that and how it's so centered and connected with our culture questions that are happening right now, I love that you can take the truths of this book as well as those principles that are found in the Bible and lay them over certain cultural issues if not all cultural issues and come to conclusion God's conclusion about that this text James which I prepared back in 2019 to preach during this season of time not knowing what you and I would be facing this text is so spot on to what our whole world is dealing with right now that we ought to perk up and listen to it so when he says show no partiality it's a big deal and he's asking us where we find it how do we root that out? Now, notice who he's talking to, to here. He's saying, first, my brothers. The message that I'm going to preach today is directly, uh, specifically inclined for people who are believers, people who are in the kingdom of God, people who have submitted their lives to Jesus Christ and their new life in Christ is given to them. It's those folks. Now, that doesn't mean that people who are outside of faith won't have insight with good truth that we're going to share today from God's word. But what it does mean is this word is specific for people who are in the kingdom of God. And the reason why it's important is because these are not self-help guides. These are not principles for good living. This is God's eternal word that is meant to provoke transformation in people who will submit themselves to it with the power of the Holy Spirit. So it will be broadly applied by people, but really the transformation is only possible by those of us who are in the faith family through Jesus Christ our Lord. So James is making an open declaration. This is for the people of God. And by default, because I'm a Bible preacher, by default, this message is meant for people who are Christian, who are saved in Christ Jesus and flourishing in the kingdom of God. Now, there's going to be insights, no doubt, for the world, but we're really talking about transformation that is only possible through Christ Jesus and his word. In fact, I see this as an anchor. Remember this image from when we first were starting this uh, passage, uh, this, this series of lessons from James. We talked about this image, that there are 12 subjects that are going to be covered, which this person's image is made up by those subjects. But what is central is that the person is redeemed by the word. So it's out of this redemption, it's out of our salvation that these subjects are expressed. So we're going to talk about partiality, the sin of partiality, but you need not see it as only one subject that God is calling us to today. The real subject is, are you redeemed by the word of God? And is that expression of redemption evident in that you hold no partiality? 
Is it evident that you are redeemed? Is it evident that God is transforming you? And that transformation comes in the simple statement, show no partiality. If you're a brother, if you're a sister in Christ, you should show no partiality. So Christians with good intentions might drift from the wisdom of God and the essence of kingdom living when they act outside of this. When they walk away from the world, uh, excuse me, from the word, then they have a tendency to drift and they start to think things that are not in the word and not in the way of God. And they start to act in ways that are not in the ways of Jesus. Our purpose is to be transformed by the word of God and to be submitted to the word of God so that that word is expressed in our attitudes, in our words, in our actions. The Lord's life perfectly revealed that for us. The word became flesh and that word was perfectly declaring the righteousness of God. And certainly you and I ought to model our lives like that as well. So he says, my brothers show no partiality as you hold the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This isn't just a, a message about showing no partiality. This is a message about holding to the faith that we have in Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of glory the very essence of God. Show no partiality as you're holding that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we recognize that you and I do not need secular organizations or institutions or spokespeople to tell us how to live without racism or discrimination or partiality. We don't need their message because their message is not eternal their message can be very much swayed by personalities their message could be convoluted and often is and their message could actually be misleading but this eternal word of God which is the standard by which God will hold all people accountable this word doesn't change it doesn't shift it doesn't sway it will lead us and guide us to how we live the expressions of life with the redeemed word so that we're never racist we're never discriminatory and we are not even biased if you want to know how you and I ought to think and how we ought to treat people then we only need to look to Jesus he is the perfect model he's the righteous model look at the way he treated you he came to you while you were yet sinners, enemies of God. He came to make you a friend of God. While you were distant from him, he was coming to adopt you into the family of God. He was unbiased in that. He was, he was driving towards you. He, he wasn't pulling back from you. Even though we sinned against him, Christ came that he might reconcile us to the Father. He acted benevolently to all people in all ways, even as mankind was self-centered and in opposition to him and his word, God was acting in a benevolent way towards them. The Bible is so clear about this. In Romans chapter 2, verse 11, it says it matter-of-factly, God shows no partiality. Just God shows none of that. God's not biased in any way. So Jesus is glorious and righteous. He perfectly expressed that in his life. He showed no discrimination whatsoever, never had a thought of racism. He saw every person as fearfully and wonderfully made in his own image. He understood perfectly the uniqueness of every person, knowing that the uniqueness, even the color of their skin, was meant to bring God glory. He knows every day of their life before one of them came about, and he pursues them in every day of their life. 
So while ministering on earth, he showed no partiality whatsoever, no favoritism. He didn't put somebody ahead of anybody else. And his enemies recognized that and noticed it and wanted to use it against him. Remember that? He's hanging out with sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, indiscriminate, unbiased. And they want to come against him because of that. It didn't matter to him if he was teaching people if they were rich or they were poor, if they were educated or uneducated, religious, irreligious. Jesus ministered to the high standard people and the low standard people. He ministered to criminals and those who were lawful alike. Whether he was aiding women of virtue or he was showing compassion to women of ill repute, Jesus was the same equally. He spoke to kings and beggars in the same way, full of truth and full of love. His focus was, of course, to bring glory to God and at the same time move towards all people to offer that unbiased grace moving towards them it meant that he was not bringing bias in any way regarding their race their appearance their standing their ability their means he recognized that all people had one thing in common and that is they have an eternal soul that was in need of redemption and he moved towards them at all time to reveal that glory of God so in the same way you and I should do likewise we should live our lives as Jesus and eagerly accept his mission to all people we're not going to hold back the mission of Christ to some we're not going to be partial for others we're going to live life as redeemed people by Christ with his word we're going to live life in the life of Christ which he gives us that nature And we're going to eagerly accept the mission for all people. And because of that, we receive James' word, which is, show no partiality. My brothers, show no partiality. As you hold the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, show no partiality. You can't cling to faith in Christ, who is not partial to you, and at the same time, be partial for or against other people. Hold that faith and let it be evident in the way that you're living. Living without bias is living the law of God and displaying his character, which he made alive in us in Christ Jesus. This isn't something that we do on our own. That's the reason why I said this message is for Christians, people who are like Christ because we have been made in the image of Christ, with the word of Christ, with the nature of Christ. We are displaying his character and obeying his law, living Christ in us and Christ living through us so there are many words that the Holy Spirit could have inspired James to write in this first verse of chapter 2 who could have said my brothers show no racism as you hold the faith but he didn't he could have said show no discrimination as you hold the faith of the Lord Jesus but he didn't very specifically he chose for James to use the word partiality hold no partiality show no bias now in doing so i think he is exposing the deepest levels of evil thought that are not given to the word of god partiality is not being given to the word of god it exposes a depth of evil that actually is pretty easy to hide I pray that every one of us would not be given to racism, nor discrimination, nor bias. But let's talk about those words for a moment. 
Racism includes beliefs and actions against someone of a different race, which is rooted in the notion that your own race is superior. Now, obviously, you and I are not going to be given to that. If you are, then you need to reject that. You need to confess that sin to God and others that you've offended and repent of that. Turn away from that. There's, there's not much more that would be anti-Christ than to think that your race is superior to someone else's. Because all those divisional walls that the world wants us to have, including race, were broken down by Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, for those of us who are in Him, there is no discrimination of race. There is no superiority of race. We are not identified by our skin color, by our national origin. We are identified as Christ followers. We are identified in Him. In fact, if you go to this next passage, you'll notice that Paul writes to the church in Galatia saying, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now that's a, that's a preface that you and I need to just slow down because there's a whole lot to just that one sentence. To help us to recognize this transliterated word, it's not translated, the rest of the verse here uh, is translated, but this word is transliterated. They've taken a word from the original language and just brought it into uh, the, the language that we're reading. So if I were going to translate it, it would be immersed. For as many of you as were immersed into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. Now, there's two races, isn't there? There's a Jewish race and there's a Gentile race, of which you and I, the majority of us, are. But now he's saying, if you've been immersed into Christ and have put on Christ, now there is not a distinction of Jew and Greek. Now, that doesn't mean their heritage has changed. It doesn't mean their DNA has changed. It just means their identity is no longer as a Jew or a Gentile. Their identity is in Jesus Christ. So in Christ, if you've been immersed into him and you've put Christ on, that means the appearance might still be different, black, white, brown, yellow, whatever, but you're not identified as that. You are identified in Christ. You're not identified by your race. Neither are you identified as slave, nor free, nor male, or female. That doesn't mean that you're no longer male, that you're no longer female. It's your identity is different. Your identity is now rooted and grounded in Christ. We are all family. You, you do know that he is calling every nation. He's calling every tongue of every tribe together. He's bringing us into one. And how he's doing that? Through Jesus Christ. You immerse into Christ and all those other dividing distinctions get blurred. And we have one singular focus and that is that we belong to Christ. Amen. And so he says, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heir according to promise. So all the promises that were available to Abraham as the beginning of that people of Israel, all those promises are now treasured in us who belong to Jesus Christ. What a glorious truth that is. So racism has no business in our minds. Racism has no business in our words has no business in our actions. Everybody in here, if you're struggling with racism, you are struggling with the Word of God. You are struggling with the identity that Christ has given you. You're struggling in your salvation. And if you continue in that, I would dare say you ought to doubt your salvation. 
It is our identity. Christ, not anything else. Christ, the superior, primary way that we're identified. I can tell you in heaven, it won't make a hill of beans difference what color you are. It won't matter what country you're from. It doesn't matter your dialect in heaven. None of that matters. Everything is Christ and Christ glorified. All right, so it's racism. He's, but he didn't, he didn't choose that. Racism would be easy. <laughs> the majority of us would say, Randy, I don't struggle with racism. He didn't even use discrimination. Discrimination is treating someone differently because you view them as different. It's not just about race. It could be a, a whole host of different things. In fact, James, in the illustration that he's going to share, which I'll touch on next week, beginning in verse 2, he uses discrimination in economics. I'm using the illustration of, of race. He, he's going to use the illustration of economics and how, how bias in the church is so destructive. And he's giving an illustration about a rich guy versus a guy who's not very well off. But he's saying, make sure that you're not biased and, of course, before bias comes discrimination. So the same grounds for which we reject the sin of racism, we reject the sin of discrimination. Understanding that all life is sacred and God has purposely given life for his own glory to people. So the words could have been show no racism, show no discrimination. We can see that that doesn't make sense, that we would be discriminatory towards people that God has drawn near to, that God has shown affection for. We wouldn't want to discriminate there. But instead, he uses the term partiality. Show no partiality. Show no bias. And partiality is favoring someone in comparison to others. So although more difficult to spot, discrimination might leave trails, and it often does, where we can later point to it. Racism is pretty easy to spot. Discrimination, maybe not so much. But bias can actually be hidden. It's not often exposed with words. It's not often exposed with actions, but it is exposed in the shadows of our heart that are not given to the biblical truth. And it actually reveals deep sin. Partiality is like a blight on our heart. If you're a gardener, you know what blight is. And blight often has a primary issue that it's hard to discover sometimes. There's some reason that blight has come to the, to the plant. And that reason might be harder to identify than the blight itself. Partiality is a blight of our heart in that it proves to be lacking in fruitfulness. Our ministry is less fruitful and our relationships are less fruitful because of the blight of partiality. And so James is saying, show none of that. Root that out. Get rid of that issue. This is a dark sin because partiality for someone or some group over other people means that you value and prefer the souls of some over the souls of others. And God would never do that. And as ambassadors for God, we need to have that sin completely rid from us. Perhaps you have had thoughts or spoken in ways that have been acts of bias and if so, it's a sin that ought to be rejected and repented of, and you ought to come to the truth of God's word and start acting as one who is redeemed by that word. You say, well, how do I know that there might be bias in me? 
I've been somewhat timid to even say the words that I'm about to say, but I've got to do it because this is the thought that comes into the mind of the person who shows partiality. And it goes something like this. I'm not a racist. I'm not a racist against black people, brown people, yellow people, red people. I'm not a racist. But that doesn't mean that I want to have co-workers that are black. Maybe I prefer to worship with people that are white. Or maybe I want my neighborhood to be people like me. That is partiality. Maybe it's just a thought. Maybe it's never articulated. Maybe you don't even know the ways that you're acting on it. But what James is saying is that partiality goes deep into the interior of your heart that has yet to be redeemed by the word of God in full. And he says, get that out of there. Or it might be another way for other people. I'm not going to be discriminatory towards white people or Hispanics or Asians or anybody else. I just prefer dealing with people like me. I want to do business with my people. I want to worship with my people. That's a bias that James is saying, get that out of your life. It has nothing to do with Jesus. It expresses nothing like the heart of Christ. And it goes completely contrary to the word of Christ. Show no partiality. God forgive us and cleanse us and root out of us where there is bias in us. And then he says in verse 12, I'm just picking the first and the end of this passage. Next week I'll deal with the middle. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. So show no partiality. Speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty, the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to who mercy has been, uh, who has been shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let me read that again because I didn't do it very well. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now let's look at this phrase, law of liberty, because we're going to be judged by something. Now, again, there's a couple of judgments in the end of this age. And one judgment is for those who have rejected God's gift of grace. They have not been saved. They still must account for every sin that they've ever committed. And that is a damnable life that they've lived. And they're going to be judged in that. They will be judged to separation from God and his love and his presence in a very literal place called hell. That is one judgment. The other is a judgment, a judgment seat of Christ for all those who are immersed in Christ and Christ is in them. That is a judgment of liberty, a law of liberty in which we are going to be judged. And what he's talking about in that is that our lives should be demonstrating this law of liberty, this law of freedom. And what he's saying there is our freedom is given to us in Christ. Number one, we've been freed from sin, the judgment of sin, but we're also free from the bondage of sin. This is the law of liberty. This is the law of freedom. It's not just that your sins have been forgiven, but God has made it by the redeemed word that is in you, by the nature of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and by the word of God. God has made it that you and I can live without sin. We can walk in this freedom, the freedom that God has given us to, we 
now have a choice whether we're going to be holy or we're going to be unholy, righteous, unrighteous, sin, or walking in obedience. So living in Christ means that God has empowered us to live righteously, including our unbiased living, and we choose to do so. A law of freedom. Our lives should demonstrate this salvation that God has given to us. So with unbiased saving grace, God has saved us. We've received that, and we ought to extend that to all people. That's the reason why we live in an unbiased way. We've been set free from what empowered us and what kept us in bondage to sin. We've been set free from that. Christ has broken those chains that once held us, and we ought to live in that freedom. So knowing that reality, Jesus is demanding of us through his brother to live without partiality, live out the freedom that he has given to us. Now, I've mentioned that there's a couple of different judgments. I'll show you the passages for those. Uh, one we recognize is not given to us. It's that judgment of condemnation. Fortunately for us who are saved, it says we rejoice in this salvation that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, if you're not in Christ Jesus, your faith is not given to him and your life is not in him, then here's his message to you. Come to him. Deny yourself. Forsake the sin in your life. Come to his righteousness. Be immersed into him and he'll come into you and have new life and then you'll be free from this condemnation for Christ will take your condemnation on the cross of Calvary and bear all the judgment of righteousness that's required by the Holy Father but for those of us who are in Christ that condemnation we have been freed from but that doesn't mean that we won't be judged for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil so there's coming a day called the judgment seat of Christ where Christ is seated in this beam of position, an elevated position, and we will all come before him. I think that will be an individual appearance before Christ, and he will judge everything done in the body. All things that were given to us in liberty, he is going to measure out. How did you do? Did you submit to that? Did you follow in obedience? Did you walk in the freedom that I gave you? Did you walk in the empowerment? I gave you my word. Did you obey that word? And he's going to call to account everything done in this body as Christians. And he goes in another way of Matthew chapter 12 for all people. He says, one day, the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Why? Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. If your heart is immersed in Christ, his word is in your life then it will be evident in your words. Right now, the things that you are saying is revealing your heart, whether it's redeemed or not, whether the word is given to you and you to it or not. That's the reason why James is so emphatically saying, show no partiality. May our words be fully measured by the truth that has been given to us. So... Christ has set us free with his law of liberty from sins of racism, discrimination, and partiality and demands that our attitudes be different from that of the world, that our attitudes and our actions and our words would be righteous. He demands that of us. This isn't a choice. This isn't if you feel like it. This isn't based on the conditions of the world. He demands that we respond in this way. You say, well, you don't know what these people are doing. I'm not concerned about what those people are doing. I'm concerned about what people of God are doing and how they are illuminating the kingdom of Christ. I can't 
change the world, but I can proclaim a message of transformation to people who claim to be transformed. I can change what my heart has in it, and you can change what your heart has in it because Christ makes deposits in you. So I'm sort of measured to do this, but I need to give us some thoughts just to move forward because this is a transformation, right? This isn't something that we just say, okay, give me three things to do, but I'm about to share with you three things that will foster this kind of living. But I want you to know this isn't a self-help. This isn't you do these and you got it. You come into the immersion of Christ. He comes into you, you and him, and the fostering will come from that. But here's some simple ways to live the the unbiased life. Number one, purposely view all people with the eyes of Christ who is full of compassion and move toward them. So be careful what you're watching right now on television. If you haven't yet done so, I've been for years now been telling you, unplug the 24-hour news cycles. That is a trap. You say, well, I want to know what's going on. Okay, check out the headlines on your app or whatever. Be informed. Know how to pray for the things of the world, but turn off the 24-hour news cycles. You and I know this is a business model, and the way that business works is that they make money off advertising, and the only way they can make more money off advertising is more viewers, and to get more viewers, you have to have an escalating conversation. Everything has to be worse than it was yesterday. Everything has to be more attention-grabbing than it was yesterday. Otherwise, viewership drops. When viewership drops, revenue slows down. This is a cycle, and it's a trap. It's a trap in that you might be viewing things of the world and allowing what other people are doing to engage your heart and your thoughts, and you might not be seeing... Come back one slide you might not be seeing them with the compassion of Christ. And you certainly will not be motivated to move toward them as Christ moved toward them. I should just remind us, one of the great authors of the Scripture is the Apostle Paul, who was living under the tyranny of the Roman Empire, which was vicious and hateful and spiteful, and yet all the while, Paul was moving, marching towards the people in that empire, wanting to have the greatest opportunity to affect them with the kingdom of God. You know how he determined to do that? Get right there in the middle of their prison system and minister from behind bars. You and I need compassion and to move toward people. And the mantra of the world right now is to divide people. And all the while, Christ is wanting to unite them with his presence and with his word. Secondly, have meaningful conversation with minorities. All right, so you're going to have to be the one that moves towards minorities right now. They are timid to move towards you. And because this nature of Christ is to move toward those who are weakened you and I need to be having the conversations you and I need to be purposeful and meaningful to sit down and have the conversations with minorities and when we're doing so be quicker to listen than you are to speak they'll share their heart with you 
Ask them with compassion and they'll open up to you about their life and what they're dealing with and the fears that they battle for years. Listen to what they're saying. Don't do so in trying to make a point. Listen, James is saying before he says no partiality, show no partiality. You know what he says before that? Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Have meaningful conversations with minorities. And be intentional in relationships with people that are different from you. Just be intentional about building relationships right now. This is the season to build relationships with people who are different than us. Living free from racism and bias is going to be evident in the celebrations and the mornings of our life. And what I mean by that, can you identify any person of a different race that celebrated your last birthday with you? The people that we celebrate, the big events in life, are those people that we have purpose to be in relationship with. Is there anybody different from you that celebrated your birthday with you last birthday? Is it evident that you have been intentional about the relationships? Until people are celebrating our life because we've made the intentional move towards them, then we won't see a life without bias and partiality. At your death, will people of different races attend your funeral? Other than your co-workers, can you name them? Will they come to your loved ones in a receiving lines and say to them, your loved one made an impact in my life. He or she went out of the way to come to me when I was different and build relationship. They made an impact in my life. Will that be said that there will be people of different races at your funeral? Can I remind us that we're going to a place where there will be all nationalities and all races and all tongues gathered together and we will live life together in perfect unity and harmony, then we ought to be moving towards that today by celebrating and even mourning with people of different races. We demonstrate our intentional, unbiased life when we befriend people and invite them into our home to share meals together. This is not to say anything against anybody that's in this room. But if you've sat in my home for a meal, it's because we have been intentional with one another. We've been intentional to the point that I've said, come sit at my table and share the food we have. Share the conversation, share the life that we have together. There was an intentionality to that. Would you be willing to do that? To invite people that are different than you into your home pull the chair and let them sit with you and have conversation with you and eat a meal together we ought to all be moving in that direction right now you ought to be thinking in your mind who can i invite who can i be intentional towards who can i build relationship with who can i have conversation with because this is what the world looks like the world is not very well reflected in this room right now this is the world. And when Jesus was asked about the word of God, the law of God and the words of the prophets, 
He said you can summarize it down into this simple statement. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Then he gives a story about who the neighbor is. You know who the neighbor turned out to be? Somebody very different than others. The neighbor turns out to be somebody that you go to who is very different from you. So instead of asking, who would I worship with? Who would I want to work with? Who would I want as my neighbor next door? Instead of asking, we should view the eternal souls of people and know that all people have one thing in common. They were made for eternity and that God wishes that none would perish and that he has put you and me in the place that we might build relationship and engage them in that way. It makes real sense, doesn't it, that James, the brother of Jesus, would say, show no partiality. Let the love of God that will be demonstrated to these people be quick in our mind, in our words, in our actions this week. Would you pray with me? Lord, we desperately need help in this area. It's as if we've been conditioned to have walls of division and separation in our lives. And Jesus has come to set us free from that. But sometimes we have difficulty walking in that freedom. May this law of liberty, this law of freedom that has been given to us be deeply rooted in us and may the expressions of that truth be evident in how we engage people of the world today so help us God I pray 